why that happens every Sunday. It's just a wake-up call, I guess. I don't think we need it, though. I don't. Amen. Why don't you go to the book of Ruth. How many of you just want to keep worshiping the Lord right now? Yeah. I do. Thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you so much that we really do get the opportunity to be in your presence. And as my wife said in her prayer, that we don't have to make this hard. It doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be strenuous. Lord, you've already lifted the weight. You've already done the difficult work. And we get to come. And so, Jesus, I pray for that to be a fresh reminder today. We get to come. Lord, there really isn't anything on our hearts. There isn't anything so dear and important to us that isn't magnified in a deeper sense, just as important and more so to you. So, Lord, I just want to pray that you will continue to exalt your name Father, I love the joy of being here right now. Lord, what a pleasure to be in the midst of brothers and sisters, of those of like precious faith, who, Lord, hunger and thirst just to live one more day, one more day in these frail bodies, these finite beings as they are, to be able to express and live a life of praise. Lord, how can we? Really, how can we give the devotion, Lord? These bodies aren't good enough. Lord, our minds don't stretch far enough to be able to give you what you're worthy of, what you really deserve, what you're really worthy of. And yet, Lord, you will condescend and you will meet us where we're at and you will take pleasure. It's the Holy Spirit working in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. And Lord, it just amazes me that you find pleasure in humanity. But Lord, you do, do, and you cleanse us, and you purify us, so that, Lord, we can give you the worship, at least from this point, that you deserve, Lord. And you're worthy of, of it all, and we want to praise you. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. I just pray for that special touch and that anointing to be able to share it, Lord, from your heart. God, animate me in a way, Lord, that will bless your people. Lord, that will give them the value and the joy of your love to them, Lord. And I just want to praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, the other day we were at our house and we had a couple over and we're, we, we'd shared and talked for quite a while and we were worried and concerned that the kids would begin to interfere with it. You know how that is, any of you that had kids or grandkids or whatever. And so I'm like trying to hurry it up so that we can get an opportunity to pray and the prayer requests just keep going a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And I'm just itching there, just yearning to pray, just looking forward, fired up to be able to pray. And so um, I finally did get my opportunity. And I feel like that right now. I feel like that just that urgent love and desire, not just to pray, but to glorify God. I'm just thankful for when he just lights you up and gives you an inspiration for the moment. And one of the the things I love the most is when it seems like the English language goes beyond the English language. And what I mean is is that all of a sudden you're saying things 
out of your spirit, right, in the language that God has given us, to be able to share with him the love and the passion and the joy of your heart. And in a way, it just feels like the Holy Spirit is just boiling up inside of you. And I just, it amazes me because I'm like, Lord, I'm saying it all in English and I'm sharing it just as, but this is not me. This feels like you're just boiling inside of me. And I just can't get over those moments and the joy of that in my heart. So I'm just grateful to share that time with you guys today. Will I actually get to the book of Ruth? We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. So a little bit of background in this story, so I don't have to read through all of it right now, is that we read the story of Ruth, and she's lost her husband, and Orpah is another one with her, and they're both basically without husbands. And Naomi is their mother-in-law. And Naomi is suffering greatly, and she's about ready to leave and go from Moab to Bethlehem. And... I think that that's important in this story. It's the locations, where they were and where they're going, that catches my attention. And it did to me, and maybe I'll get into that here shortly. But what you see in this story is, is that both of these women had suffered the loss of their husbands. And they were now at the point of decision as to whether uh, Naomi, they were going to go on with Naomi, or they were just going to go back to um, life as usual without their husband. And I don't know what that would have looked like. It actually kind of makes me scratch my head here, but you read here where Naomi is actually petitioning them and saying, go back to your... They're crying and saying, we're going to go with you. We're going to go with you on your journey. And um, they understand that she's a woman of suffering. And they understand that in what she's, about, what she's going through right now is it doesn't look like that it's going to end up in, uh, in blessing or in good for her. And yet they're willing, at a, at a point, they look like they're both willing to go with her. And it said they wept. And in verse 11, no, verse 10, and they said to her, Surely we will return with you unto your people. And Naomi said in verse 11, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there not yet... Or, um, are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? So she's saying, if you go with me, uh, it's, it's certain loss. It's certain tragedy to you. So why would you go with me? And so she continues to share with them the reasons why this doesn't make sense for them to do so. And then in verse 14, And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave to her. And then it says in verse 15, And she said, Behold, your sister-in-law is gone back into her people and unto her gods. Return after her. Isn't it interesting that it was like the whole thing was, I'm suffering and I don't want you to continue to walk with me through this. And so... When we think of a kiss, this wasn't the kiss of, I'm going with you. This is the kiss of, I'm, I'm letting you leave without me. But when we read of Ruth, she claved to her. She embraced her and held on to her. And my heart begins to just really get soft at this point. Because I feel like 
And as I was reading through this, I felt like the Lord gave me a very special connection with this book that I hadn't had before. When we read of Boaz, and any of you that are familiar with this story, Boaz the kinsman redeemer, and we see the type of Christ in that. But I don't know if any of you recognized or even noticed the type of Christ in Naomi. This is our suffering Savior. And before we transition to our kinsman redeemer, we have to embrace our suffering Savior. And this story would not be what it is, and it wouldn't have the meaning that it does, and it wouldn't have the power invested in it unless we saw Christ in Naomi, unless we saw the reality that our suffering Savior is to be embraced, to bring us to the fact that He's our kinsman redeemer. And it's not Boaz that we first get introduced to, it's Naomi that we first get introduced to. And I love this because as I begin to get this, this type in this story, it begins to really, for me, it begins to open it out up to me. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So now, like, now it makes sense why she would be pressed. And, and it was more so that Ruth was pressing Naomi more than Naomi was pressing Ruth. And... In this, you say in verse 16, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following after you. See, we begin to see the preciousness and the beauty and the glory and the goodness of the cross of Jesus. So much so that it's uh, like the old song goes, that the, it's a wondrous attraction for me, so despised by the world, and yet a wondrous attraction to me. And, and I want to be there. So Ruth is crying out, I don't want to leave. I want to embrace my suffering. I want to embrace the suffering of Naomi. And to us, it would be, I want to embrace the suffering of my Savior. I want to hold on to and be in union with. And so I, this message of the cross is so important, and I wonder why it might be missed sometimes today. But one thought came to my mind in this, is that the cross is a union. When we think of a union, probably the, the thing that probably stands out to us the most is marriage. Um, it's not something that was just done for me. It's something that I come into communion with. And so listen to the rest of what she says. For where will I go? Does that strike your mind on somewhere else in Scripture? Peter with Jesus and Jesus saying to Peter, and Peter said to him, you have the words of life. Where else shall I go? Where will I go? For where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people will be my people. And my God, your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. And the Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death part you and me. That's a picture of somebody who's coming into the cross. They are being crucified with Christ. They're not just accepting that Jesus died for them and He was crucified for them. They are coming into all that the cross actually means. See, part of it is, is that the cross is a part of our relationship to Jesus. is a part of our union and our connection to Him. So they come into His death and His burial and His resurrection. They come into that. 
And so that's what she was doing is, this is typically what we would use as a scripture for um, a couple who's getting married. And you might hear them say, where you lodge, I will lodge. And this this commitment and this binding together and this union together. And what she's saying to Naomi is, is that I'm not going to be separated from you, either in your sufferings or in your welfare. In all ways, I'm connected and unified to you. So I love this. And when she saw, this is Naomi in verse 18, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left off speaking to her. And I thought, well, that's, you can interpret that in one of two ways, but I think that that basically says that there's an established commitment in the heart. This is an obvious established commitment where there's no breaking it. There's, this has been a confirmed commitment so much so that there's no need further to test or to prove whether the heart is truly and completely committed. And I think this is the steps that we take before we get the redemption blessing and the covenant blessing that's in Christ. Is that we have to step into this relationship so committed and entire to Jesus that we embrace our suffering Savior as He truly is. And so then they went until they came to Bethlehem. And so here's a, here's a thought I want to read here in the, the next few verses in verse 20. And this is Naomi speaking. And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, but Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why then will you call me Naomi, seeing the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. I couldn't help but when I was reading those verses to think that sounds so much to me like Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. So turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 53. Again, we're just saying Naomi is a type of our suffering Savior. Isaiah 53. Let's start at verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. I hope that, and as I'm sharing this, that you're wanting to embrace this more. That this is the Jesus that I'm embracing. This is the suffering Savior that I'm holding on to and that I'm worshiping. That I came here to honor and love is the one who has been sacrificed and suffered. And so you hear in Naomi's words the sense of being forsaken, the sense of being brought too low. And so it was with Jesus as well. And then we transfer from verse, I mean, chapter 1 to chapter 2. And I love this chapter. 
Actually, it just, like, it just highlights for me, and I love this. See, because Naomi's going to continue this story. It's going to continue with Naomi. We don't stop with Naomi, but she stays. And I want you to remember that. In verse 1, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Isn't that amazing? So listen to this, that his, he was a mighty man of wealth. Doesn't that remind you of Jesus? who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us. So we're reminded of Jesus is a great man of wealth. Is there anything? Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, children of God, let me ask you this question. Is there any need in your life? Is there anything that you're dealing with right now that Jesus isn't wealthy enough to take care for it all and beyond your wildest imagination and greater than anything that you've ever dreamed? Isn't it true what the Word of God says? That He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. Isn't it exactly the way He said? So He's a man of wealth, and we need to approach Him as that. When we look at the cross, it's just the transaction point so we can step into who He really is. And there isn't anything that we can begin to struggle with or uh, have an issue in life that He's not wealthy enough to take care for. Amen. Amen. Still listening for some amens out there. Amen. Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me go now to the field and glean the ears of corn after him whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And it, and it says, and I love verse 3, And she went and came to the uh, and gleaning in the field after the reapers, and her hap, This is the King James Version, but I like it. Her hap was to light upon the field belonging to Boaz. So what what translated in proper English, I guess what we would say is, is that providentially God brought her into the field belonging to Boaz. Of all the places she could be, she ends up in his field. And it's not by mistake. It's not by chance. It's by providence. And I want to say this because she had followed Naomi and she embraced her suffering Savior. She is brought into, by the providence of God, all that is in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? That when we embrace Him, when we hold on to the cross, when we become in union with His death, we also embrace everything else that comes after that. So God providentially, Naomi is the pathway to our kinsman redeemer. He will always, she will always be that pathway to the kinsman redeemer. And you'll notice how much of a part she plays in Ruth's life. Amen. Still looking for that amen. Amen. Okay, and so now we begin to get this. She goes into his fields. She reaps. And then in verse 5, Boaz begins to notice, and then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, it is the Moabitish damsel or the woman that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves so that she came and has continued even from the morning until now. And she has tarried 
a little in the house. So Boaz begins to notice her. And he now he begins to speak to her in verse 8. And Boaz said unto her, uh, Hear my daughter, go not to glean in another field. Neither go in uh, from any other place, but abide here fast by my maidens. I want you to notice verse 9. I want you to pay close attention to verse 9. It says, let your eye be on the field. I want to put in, not just on the field, but on my field. And then he goes on further to say, um, and I have charged the young men that they shall not touch you. And when you are thirsty, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. I guess this is my this is the thought that I just can't get over when I'm reading this. Is that how much is Jesus saying to us, go into my field and you get to reap in my field. You get to spend time with me and you get to experience what I plan and my purpose. Don't go anywhere else. Don't put your heart and your mind and your thoughts Don't focus them anywhere. Jesus even said it this way, that don't set your treasures and your affections on things of the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but set your affections on things of heaven. And so right now, that, that scripture has always impressed me when Jesus had made the statement, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more? I just want you to think about that this morning. How much more? Just get that ingrained in your thoughts. How much more will your heavenly Father give good things to them that ask Him? Like, think about it. Infinitely more. Infinitely more on every single level. On the level of willingness. On the level of richness. He has more to offer. He has more to give. And He has more desire to do so. And so if God has such a desire for us, such a want, so that we may know Him in fullness and greatness, I ask, are we as Christians experiencing what the Lord really intended for us? Are we walking in the presence of the Lord as He intended? Are we the Enochs of our generation walking with God? Or are we still struggling with other things that really don't have much of anything to do with what relationship looks like? And so he's petitioning her, go into my field. And he goes beyond this. Listen to me. He goes beyond this. And I love what he does. In verse 15, and he says, And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall some of the handfuls on purpose for her. And leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field even until evening. And so he was telling them, just just take handfuls out of your bag and throw it out there. Just provide more for her. She's not just going to be gleaning from this field. She's going to be harvesting from this field. And I want you to understand that the heart of God toward us, remember, Naomi is the reason why we get this privilege with our Father in Heaven. This is the reason we get to glean from Heaven. I wonder of us, how many of us say, Lord, I want more of of you in my prayer life. I want the desire to just 
call out on you and be fulfilled deeper within than I've ever been and pray and seek your face and see the things that you've wanted to come to pass and see it happen. And I wonder if we're missing out in part of all that God has really provided for us. How much He's really provided for us. And I think this, and I'm going to say this, I think our prayer closets reveal it. Absolutely. If we had an understanding and the measure of the gift of God for us, then it's evident by how much we pray, how often we pray, and how much we enjoy of Him. Because what I see in here is an infinite supply. I see that if there's somebody that's hungry, God is always there to meet them. The Lord is always there, no matter what. And so we will never be able to say, I was hungry, Lord. I showed up, Lord, but you didn't supply, Lord. But it's going to be just the opposite. I was full. I had enough. My supply and my vats were overflowing, and you didn't come. You didn't receive, but I wanted you to. And the heart of Jesus, what I see in this is the heart of love. What I see in this is this this kinsman redeemer was looking at Ruth already with affection to marry her. He was already within mindset. You're mine. I'm going to take you in and I'm going to be your provider. And I love that. I love that. Verse 11, and Boaz answered and said to her, "It is." Oh, so no, no, verse 10, and she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said to him, why have I found grace in your eyes? Why have I found grace in your eyes? That's my heart toward Jesus. I'm like, Lord, this is amazing that I get one moment to feel the presence of God. I get to feel what it means like to have my sin forgiven and my conscience clean. Oh, that's amazing to me. And yet I get more than that. Not just one day, but I can have hour after hour, moment after moment of Him being so good to me and supplying it that I will never be hungry again. I love what he says to the woman at the well. If you had known him who had asked you for water, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water and you would have never thirsted again. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is saying that if you really find tap into me as your supply, you will never thirst again. And I'm like, Lord, I'm always thirsty. I'm always thirsty. And like he's, he's basically saying, as long as you're thirsty, I've always got a supply to the point in which you can never be thirsty again. So she says, why have I found grace in your eyes? It seems so incredible to me that the creator of the universe finds compassion for me. Why does he love me? I am amazed at that. I am so sweetly touched by it. What an awesome God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you so much for loving us. I'm not done with this sermon, but Lord, I want to thank you for your goodness. Lord, why have we found grace in your sight? Lord, fallible. Lord, so many times tripping over. You've made such sweet promises to us, and yet, Lord, we don't receive them. Lord, in many ways we've hardened our hearts, maybe not with intent, but we still have. Lord, there's times where we've questioned your goodness and failed to see the greatness of who you are. And Lord, the miracles that were standing behind our unbelief 
And yet, Lord Jesus, we can say, why have you have we found grace in your sight? Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I was here earlier this week praying, and this was one of my sweet hours of prayer, and I felt like the Lord gave me something in this. And, and my vision has been, if the Lord has brought me to humility or emptiness, that it's always been the empty of self. And that's the way I thought of it. But I feel like the Lord has over and over again been speaking something different to me. How many of you witnessed with this thought? Was that real humility is seeing Jesus and giving Him absolute praise. That there's so much in our life that happens. And I know you've all been touched with it. There's things in your life that you can say, that hurt. I don't understand that, Lord. I don't know why that happened to me. God, that seems so far from your will. Why did I have to go through this? I wanted to serve you. I wanted to love you in this. Why did this happen? And all I can say is it, it seems to me like that's the moment when all you can do is look to Him and say, you have never failed me once. You have never let me down. Your promises have never failed. There isn't anything that I'm viewing, anything that I'm experiencing that will ever erase the faithfulness, the perfection, the fullness, the holiness, the righteousness of who you are. You are perfect. But how many of us have come to the end of ourselves, where, Lord, one more time, I've been brought into that circumstance and I'm down on my knees one more time and I can still say, you are the same yesterday for today and forevermore. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the servant of God. That's the one who's embraced the cross. That's the one who's let the cross into their life. And from out of that cross comes life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Out of that cross comes life. And it's not the weakness of human flesh. It's not the finiteness of James or you. It's the power of Jesus working in a human vessel. Amen. Praise God. And so he says in verse 11, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully showed to me all that you have done unto your mother-in-law. Oh, I love that. If we're just bringing her back to that type of suffering Savior, that what he's saying is I'm responding to your affection and your embrace of the suffering Savior. And since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your nativity and are coming to a people that you know not. Now, I like this part because he says since the death of your husband, how many of you know the Bible well enough to know where I'm going with that? You're like, well, I probably know it well enough, but I'm not sure where you're going with that. <laughs> Romans 6, in order for you to be married to another, the first one has to die. And so to be married to Christ, we have to be released from our marriage to the law. And so... Here we're seeing another picture of this wholeness of and this reflection of what God does in us in Christ. And so why is this become really important to me? Because I realize the more I look at the law of God, or basically this, 
those parts of his character or his word that actually tell me I'm wrong and tell me that I've failed and tell me that I've sinned and are an absolute true report. When I read God's law, his word, I, find a, I can find a lot of things that are wrong about James. So how can I be released from that? When I get married to the Savior, He redeems me fully. And what I'm saying is this, is that in your relationship with Jesus, there's no way to be able to fully do and live the way God wants unless you're closely connected to His Son. There's no other way. No other way. And so her mother-in-law begins to get a picture of what's going on with Ruth, and she says to her, um, so what's happened? And she's like, I'm gleaning in the field of Boaz, and this is how he's blessing me. And, and uh, Naomi says to her, she's now beginning to move her in this place of direction. In Ruth chapter 2, I say this is the cross recommends us to the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But now she's about to recommend her that the cross marries us to Christ in chapter 3. But she's beginning to see this and she's, she's sharing with her what's happening. And Naomi says in verse 30, And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has left off his, uh, has not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi, Naomi said to her, The man is near of kin to us, one of our next kinsmen. And so we're uniting this here completely. And now we see in chapter 3, that Naomi tells Ruth, now it's time for you when you're in the field. Uh, now clean up, get ready, wash yourself. I think it even says anoint, anoint yourself and get ready. And when everything's done and he's laid down, I want you to go into him and uncover his feet. And, and, um, and then lay there and then he's going to tell you what you're going to do. Now, when we read of this, we're like, what in the world are they talking about? Uncover his feet and then go lay there and then he's going to tell you. And symbolically in the Bible, all that's basically saying is, is that she's asking. It's kind of a proposal of him to, um, uh, to now provide and take care for her. So to marry, it's, it's in a sense a marriage proposal on a woman's side. And so she's basically saying, I want to come under your shelter and I want to be fully yours, completely yours. Isn't that a powerful message? Isn't that a powerful message? So here she does this, and to avoid any other appearance of anything else, he sends her out early. And, um, and what he says to her is, there's another one who can redeem you, and it's going to be another kinsman, and I'm going to go to him, and I'm going to speedily do this. And if he won't do it, then I will do it. He's already prepared and committed to her. And I don't know how many people need this right now. I don't know how many of us and people that are not even here need to hear this message. That the, I believe before Naomi set out foot, the picture that we're getting in this is this was the commitment from the beginning. This is a whole picture. I love how when we read the Bible, from one end to the next, we get a whole picture of the heart of God and what the gospel really is. Because if we only looked at the cross, we would look at something that looks like an emblem of suffering and it looks like it's there to destroy me.
but really it's just another revelation of God's absolute great love for me. And so he takes me to the cross, and then he's going to, through the cross, introduce me to his power to resurrect me. You understand that? He's introducing me to the power to resurrect me. And um, nobody knows like you, listen to me, nobody knows like you how excruciating it is to feel like you failed. To feel like whatever happened in my life, I missed the will of God. I didn't do what the Lord wanted me to do. I missed, maybe I missed it. I'm not sure, but there's a lot of wanderings and struggles in the heart of humanity, even among Christians, brothers and sisters, that we own the theology of the Bible. We just don't own its reality. In our logic, we're saying, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. But in our life, it's just not there. We're struggling over and over again, and we can't understand what is it that the Lord is trying to tell us. And I know because I've been there a lot of times, and probably, I don't know, I'm going to say this, probably nobody more than myself, but this feeling like I want to go on to perfection. I feel like when I hear the word holiness, I'll never reach the top of that. I'm always going to fail at that. That's the way it sounds to me. So when I think of holiness, I'm not going to attain. When it comes to righteousness, especially God's, I'm going to fail. And I'm afraid that that's the image that we've got over and over again. But I want you to see this. The marriage to Boaz is the release from that bondage. The union to Boaz is the release from that bondage. So that mo- then that's all that God ever intended was he wanted from the cross to the resurrection to present to you a holiness that was only bound up in a relationship. That's all it ever was. It wasn't bound up in you've got to do this or do that. Now think of it like this. If I was trying to think of how can I finally reach the climax of what it means to have the best prayer life, the perfect prayer life, How many hours should I pray? How much should I pray? What should it look like? And I'll never feel like I got there. Because you'll always say, it just feels like really the reality is this physical body prevents me from being able to do it. I have to be released from this in order to be perfect. And actually, all you have to do is wholly lay hold of Jesus. You just have to be married to Christ. That's the only requisite. Because out of that marriage union happens what God wanted to happen. And so I think sometimes we're struggling to feel like we really can, and I, I think that the really, how have I found grace in your sight is probably more so the Christian experience than it is to embrace the joy of the Lord. Because I think that we're like Lord, I sinned today. I failed today. So I need to go make it right, and I need to do this, and I need to do so many things before I can come into the presence of God. But how do you do that? How do you make yourself good enough to come? How do you make yourself good enough for Him? He's got everything I don't. And so I'm 
beginning to look at this completely different in my sight. And I'm like, Lord, I come as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. That's it. I'm coming because you made the sacrifice. So what about all the impurities on the outside? What about all the other things on the exterior? All I can tell you is this. If you'll embrace him through the cross one more time, and you'll just let him into your life, and you'll espouse him one more time, what he does inside of you will change that. He'll change that. I think I said it last week, but I want to say it again this week, is one of the most beautiful parts of my testimony was I used to be dirty with my mouth. I had cuss words and everything you can think of. And I remember having this Jesus touching my heart, you know, in my prayer time. And I just got down at my bedside and I would just worship God, just worship Him. And I remember one day I went out in my backyard and, and it just struck me. When was the last time I said a swear word? That's beautiful. And I think that's what Jesus wants of us. He doesn't want you saying, I can't come because I'm not good enough. I think He wants you to say, I'm not good enough. That's why I come. That's exactly why I come. And because of that, the Lord, make that transaction. Make that transaction. And I had one guy say this to me, and he said this statement. He said, it feels so selfish to ask for myself. And I said, think of it like this. Think of it like this. Whatever you're asking for and Jesus does in your life, he gets the return. <laughs> he gets the return of what is the exchange inside of you. So all we need to do is come freely. Oh, that's so good to me. You don't get it from my perspective of all I have to do is come. I just get to come. And the Lord begins to open my eyes how free that really is. See, you got to understand from my perspective, it doesn't feel like it's that free. It doesn't seem like it's that good. Lord, I can come right now. Right now I can come. And there really isn't anything. You've given me all things that pertain to life and godliness. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not freely? Oh, I love that. How shall he not freely give us all things? He's already given Jesus Christ. What else won't he give you? And why wouldn't He? Because whatever He does in your life will turn to be a praise to His name. Remember, you're just that leper that just got cleansed. And all after I get cleansed, I'm just coming to worship Him. I'm coming to give Him my love and praise. I devote myself to You. God, I love You. And He's like, that's all the exchange was needed. You love me, and I pour in more. And you can't believe the blessing and the joy and the fullness that comes from that. You're like, Lord, I can't believe the changes, the changes that happened in my family, the miracles that are happening behind this effortlessly. God, I didn't even pray for them and they're happening. Why is that happening? It's because I love you, Jesus, and you love to bless those who love you. We're just exalting him today. That's it. That's it. We're just exalting him. I'm seeing some smiles on those faces. You got you saw me, you caught me in that hot spot right now. And I'm knowing that. There's something about that. When I get to praying, I'm like, God, this is bigger than what I'm praying. This is beyond that. It's eternal. And it's amazing. And so then I begin to get more and more of a picture. As struggling as it is, I'm praying to an omnipotent God. And He's amazing. 
And the one thing that Jesus is just trying to drive out of it, like the devil, drive out of it is the selfishness, is it's all got to be about me. Lord, heal me to make me happy. No, Jesus, heal me so that you can get the glory. Hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you, I believe that that might be the only difference between some phenomenal miracles lying behind the doors. God is good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you want me to quit? <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, thank You for Your love and Word. Jesus, we're not devoted to You, God. Lord, You're devoted to us. Lord, You've already proven that devotion. And Lord, can we say today, Lord, right now, what a blessing it is, but can we not say that You have been so devoted to us that You have commended you have commended your love to us that how much, Lord, that heaven is at our disposal. I love what one brother said. He said that you bankrupted heaven. You bankrupted heaven by giving Jesus Christ to us. You gave the best that heaven had to offer. And so because of that, God, you deserve the glory. You deserve the honor out of our life. You deserve it all, Lord. And we want to love you and worship you right now. God, what a blessing. And I believe, Lord, as we... Right now in this moment, God, get to reflect that love. And Jesus, just love on my brothers and sisters. Love on the family of God. Pour Yourself into us. Lord, I love to be in that presence that alters me, changes me. Oh, Lord, I'm not the same man when I've come out from Jesus. Bless You, Lord. Bless You, God. Hallelujah. 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 Let the worship team come up and we're going to just... Give this opportunity to respond to Him. You're probably wondering, how did James, get up down. I want to. I want to pray. <laughs> Amen.